If you would take your scriptures and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. 1 Peter 3, we'll be reading the entire chapter. 1 Peter 3, would you give ear to the reading of God's word? Wives, likewise be submissive to your own husbands, that even if you do not obey the word, they will doubt a word may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fear. Do not let your adornment be merely outward, arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. Husbands likewise dwell with them with, the un with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together in the grace of life, that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to be to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. And who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you're blessed. And do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. For it is better if it is the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit by whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who formerly were disobedient, when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. There is also an antitype which now saves us, baptism, not the removal of the, flesh of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Father, we come this morning to worship and glorify your name. We come because we know you're the sovereign Lord Almighty, the one and only creator of heaven and earth and everything in them. We come today hear your voice, Lord, which is like the roar of rushing water. Speak to us and let not our hearts be hardened. Grant us grace to stop our rebellion, 
Do not allow us to be tested beyond what we can handle. Pour out your mercy and fill us with a desire to hear your word and apply its truth to our lives. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Peter began teaching on submission back in chapter 2, verse 13. We've looked at this over the last four weeks. Again, I want to stress to you the importance of this teaching. You cannot be a Christian and not submit. This has been one of the main themes in this passage, that believers are to submit to every authority placed over them by God and that God is the one who has established every authority, be they good or evil. If you claim to be a believer, then you have to have a submissive attitude. Please understand, I'm not saying this is an easy thing to do. In fact, I think it's probably one of the hardest things we're asked to do. As Calvinists, we understand that man has a hard and dark heart. In the garden, when man rebelled against God, he kind of thumbed his nose at the idea of being submissive to anyone. Therefore, this is not something anyone readily jumps into. Even after God works in the heart and changes it from stone to flesh, we find ourselves constantly in a struggle with doing things our own way as opposed to to following God and submitting to his commands. Peter, in bringing this topic to a conclusion, addresses every believer, just as he did when he began this discussion. He wants everyone to understand this teaching on submission and how important it is. In the beginning, he said, you were to do this for the Lord's sake. The reason you were to do it is because it's God's will. God created this world. He created everything in it. He made man, and yes, he did make man, the vice regent over his creation. But he also made him to be his servant and to carry out his will in creation. God created you to live as free men. He wanted you to think. He wanted you to make decisions. He created men to do both and empowered them with a good heart, sound mind, and a great moral character. Man was therefore to repopulate the earth, labor, and to worship his creator. In Adam's rebellion, man was plunged into a state where he was controlled by a hard heart, a dark mind, and a perverted moral character. While he still repopulated the earth and labored, he lost his moral direction and lost his ability to worship properly. Understand, because man rebelled, he was not delivered from his first responsibilities. Those duties are still required, repopulation and labor and worship. The problem is man cannot correctly accomplish those duties with a hard heart, a dark mind, and a soiled moral character. God in his grace and mercy has through Christ restored to his people a new heart, a new spirit, and given him to his Holy Spirit to show them the proper moral path. Peter, as he concludes this teaching on submission, shows us the results of following 
our new hearts, our new spirits, and listening to the Holy Spirit as we submit to every authority God places in our lives. God first called all believers to submit to every authority, and just to make sure he, under, he was understood, he spoke directly to several groups. First, the slaves. These were the lowest of all people in Peter's day. They were owned by others. They had no freedom at all. But he still tells them, obey your masters. He then turns to wives and tells them to obey their own husbands. He doesn't leave any room for wiggling. If you call yourself a believer, then this teaching of submission applies to you. I had someone tell me they knew some ladies that professed to be real great believers but they said they would never submit to their husbands. They put their own salvation in question by such declarations. Either you believe God's word or you accept a satanic substitute. After speaking to all believers, then to slaves and wives, he turns to husbands, anyone who is in authority over others. Peter doesn't go slack on this in any way. You are not free from this teaching. In fact, it applies more strongly to those in authority. Authority in Christianity is not power to rule over others with impunity. It is responsibility to serve others with love. In these concluding remarks on submission, Peter again addresses all believers. He now delineates for us how we as believers should live this Christian life. He gives to us a pattern, a pattern for our Christian conduct. First, he speaks of harmony within the body. Second, he talks about the inheritance of believers. Third, he tells us of the peace that, the, that followers, that as followers, when we submit to God, we're doing it because it's God's will. This teaching on submission is a hard thing for, for men to follow, and Peter knows that. He concludes this with a strong exhortation directed at everyone calling themselves a believer. Verse 8. Finally, all of you, be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous. In this, we find five things every believer is called to be. These are not easy things for us to do. It will require quite the effort, but that effort is absolutely mandatory. The first thing Peter says is necessary is that you be of one mind, as, or as others translated, you must live in harmony with one another. Now, I know we've all heard teaching on this plenty of times. A lot of times it just goes in one ear and out the other. Let's don't let that happen this morning. The first thing that we need to do is come in that harmony. The old American Standard translates this closer to the Greek. It says, be all like-minded. We need to be like-minded. Now you may ask if this means we're to all think alike and in the same way. And that's a good question. The answer is not quite. 
Paul deals with the question in Philippians 3.15. Paul's talking about pressing on toward the goal of winning the prize of heaven for Jesus through Jesus Christ. He is about he he is taught not about putting confidence in the flesh. And it's made clear that as believers, we are to live by faith and by faith alone. He then says, if we are mature, if we understand this concept of living by faith, we can handle some differences. Philippians 3.15 says, Therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. What Paul knows is that God has given to his people a great variety of differing gifts and talents. His people come from a multitude of different backgrounds, and all of that is going to make them look at things from many different perspectives. Peter has talked to all classes about the submission to every authority. Surely you can understand this. A man from a country ruled by a king will see things differently than those who are ruled by a republic. They're all going to respond differently in certain situations. That's okay. The Westminster Confession of Faith was changed in those chapters dealing with the civil government when the Presbyterian Church in America adopted it in 1729. Peter says, Submit unto every authority beginning with God. Therefore, those submitting to a totalitarian authority will have a harder time than those to an elected authority. In the elected authority, you can wait a little while, you can get them out. Can't do that with an authoritarian. Paul says, if we look to God for the answer to how we are to act in our journey to heaven, regardless of our situation, God's going to make clear our path. He has provided for us his word, and the like-mindedness comes from our acceptance of his word. Also, our willingness to hear and believe what is taught in his word, irrespective to our circumstances. You know, you can't have an argument with someone who has a totally different foundation and belief system than you do because you don't have the same foundation to work from. I can argue with somebody over the Bible and over what the Bible says about certain things like maybe baptism. But we're both coming from Scripture. Therefore, we can, we can listen to each other. We can respect each other. But if you try to do that with a, a cult where they don't accept the word, I remember here a few years back, there were two guys came to town. They would call themselves missionaries. Well, I heard, saw them around a lot, heard a lot of people talking about them. Finally, somebody set up a meeting that I could have with them, and I sat down with them and started talking to them. They were some kind of offshoot of the Mormon church. They were extreme dispensationalists. I brought up a scripture to try to correct something. They said, oh, you can't use that. I said, why can't I? That doesn't apply to us. Only three chapters in Acts applied to them. How are you going to talk with anybody like that? How are you going to bring the gospel to anybody like that? Our duty begins with our hearing God's word. We are all, as believers in Christ Jesus, supposed to be committed to his word. Our unity in him is not in the things around us. We don't have to agree on the shape of this building, the color of the carpet, the type of chairs we have. We don't have to agree with the type of government our nation has. What we must agree on, though, 
is Jesus Christ and the work he has done on behalf of his people. There's no compromise there. We have to be in complete harmony with one another that the Bible is God's word. Paul says this in Romans 15, 5. How may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus? As you submit to his commands as they are given in his word, as believers, we must all be in perfect harmony around the truth of God's word. And when we are, our differences will pale into insignificance. Why? Because the glory of God will shine through and our eyes will be blinded to ourselves as we behold the beauty of the triune God. Next, Peter says, having compassion. In other words, be sympathetic. Christ said his people would be known for their love of one another. How can you show love for others when you show no sympathy for the things others are undergoing? Paul also addresses this in Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with all with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. I hear people say they can't go and talk with others who are going through really hard times because they just don't know what to say. Well, my friends, I hope you haven't done that because what you're doing is just using something as a, a, a cop-out. Saying, I can't go do it. Why? Because you don't want to. However, if a friend comes into a large inheritance, you can't wait to get over there. You can't wait to get over there. Well, what do you do? You go over and you laugh and you enjoy them and you congratulate them and you just put on a good show. The same rule applies in times of trouble. You shouldn't forget it. You go. You mourn with those who mourn. You say, I'm sure sorry this has happened and I hurt with you. You cry and you grieve with them. If we are in harmony with one another, then that means we feel what they feel. We show the same emotions they show. Paul, in teaching about the body of Christ, said in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all members rejoice in it. Please hear this message. The body of Christ is called to submit, to submit to every authority placed over it, and to endure every pain and honor together. Why? Because they are called to come together as one in Jesus Christ. The third thing Peter calls you to do is love as brothers. In 1 Peter 1.22, Peter said, have sincere love for the brothers. This is very important to this teaching of submission. It's much easier to submit to or to properly rule over those you love and honor. We see this even in God as he says he so loved the world that he gave. He loved his creation. He loved the works of his hands. He, he, he has continued 
throughout the ages to work diligently for what he loved. This is what he calls each of us as believers to do. Love as brothers. Paul again gave us some clarification on this in Romans 12.10. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love and honor giving preference to one another. Here again we see the heart of Peter's teaching on submission. Seeing others as better than yourselves. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're in submission to them or in authority over them. Your responsibility is to love them and let your actions be a witness of love, the love of God. Peter adds the fourth thing to this. He says you should be tenderhearted, or some would say be compassionate. The Greek word for compassionate is, is a very descriptive word. It literally means to feel from your very inner core, from your intestines, if you will. I'm sure that most everyone here has had some experience where your stomach started to churn as you were fixing to do something or in the midst of doing it, and you could feel it throughout your intestines because of the emotions of the moment. It just overwhelms you. Your whole body reacts to it. This is what the word means, feeling it deep down so much it causes your insides to churn. Why does he want you to feel so strongly? Because you are united to each other through Jesus Christ. It's like being concerned about yourself. Having the same feelings for others that you have for yourself. Fifth, the apostle says that you should be courteous, or as some would say, be humble. The heart of this teaching as we've repeatedly said, is to see others as better than yourself. You cannot do that without humility. Jesus taught this as he washed his disciples' feet. Here was the Lord of heaven, the Messiah himself, the God of God. He was washing these men's feet, men he had created, men he had made and put into this world. And he stooped down and took the the garment of a slave and wrapped himself in it and washed their feet. You can't do that without humility. He said he came to serve, not to be served. He then humbled himself to the point of dying on Calvary's cross for his people. The call to submit is intertwined with this call to be humble to accept that others are of great worth and to treat them as so. It's through these virtues that harmony stands out and reflects the glory of God's people. The only way these virtues can be manifested is when God's people as brothers and sisters commit to Jesus Christ to acknowledge God as their father and Christ as their brother. Then, then they are truly seen as the body of Christ the church of the living God, and the blessings of God flow freely into their lives. The results of submission and the rewards of unity with Jesus Christ is an inheritance. Christians are not to be concerned with trying to earn anything from God. 
Oh, if we could just get that out of our hearts and minds, that we got to earn something from God. You don't have anything to give God he wants. He could create more of you if he wanted you. The proper focus of the believer is always toward others and how he can serve them. That's your duty, to serve others. Verse 9 continues this by saying, you must be careful that you are not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Are believers to be only concerned about Christians? No. They are to be concerned with everyone. Christ said in Luke 6, 27, but I say to you who hear, Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Paul reflects this throughout his teaching. He said in Romans 12, 17, Repay no one for evil. Have regard for good things in sight of all. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 15, Paul said, See that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. This goes hand in hand with submission. You are called to submit to God first. And when God allows something bad to happen, instead of looking for a way to get even, he says, look for a way to return a blessing. Now, boy, if that don't cut against the nature, I don't know what does. What greater blessing could you give than you give them the witness of Jesus Christ? Lay the gospel before them. Tell them you love them because Christ has called you to. Bless those who would do you harm. Stand before them as a minister of the gospel. When you do this, you imitate Jesus Christ. Did Jesus not continue to deliver the message of God's grace, even in the face of the torment of those who wanted to kill him? Please remember the character of your God. Jesus speaks to this in Matthew 5, 43-48. He reminds you that some would tell you to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus told us to love our, your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. Why does he say this? Because God causes the sun to shine on the just and the unjust alike. He also sends, sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. He reminds you that if you love those who love you, your reward will be great. He says, do not even the tax collectors do the same? What, what are you doing if you only greet your brother? Do not even the Gentiles do that? Jesus makes it clear. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. You must imitate God. God sends his reign on the just and the unjust. He provides for the basic needs of his people and those who rebelled against him. This blessing you are to give to those who harm you is the blessing God has given to you. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. When someone hurts you instead of returning injury for injury, offer to them the greatest healing message of all time. 
tell them of the love of Jesus Christ and the hope of eternal life. That's what you have promised to do when you took Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, is to go out into this world and tell others what he has done for you. Witnessing's not hard. You don't have to have a whole bunch of scripture memorized to be a good witness. Witnessing is just simply telling people what Christ means to you, what he has done for you. You can do that if he's done anything for you. Remember, Peter has spoken to slaves and wives, and his instructions have been, treat your masters and husbands with honor and respect, even when they're evil, hard, and cruel. Why? Why would he call us to do that? Because through your witness, through your witness, they might come to see their sinfulness and their need of a Savior, and they might recognize Jesus Christ as the only possible Savior. Why does Peter ask such a hard thing of believers? You were called to this. You were called to emulate Jesus Christ. You were called to be a witness for him in this dark world. You are now the light of the world because he lives in your heart. Why were you called to this? That you may inherit a blessing. Now I want you to remember one thing about blessings and about inheritance. To inherit is not a right. It's a privilege. To receive an inheritance is to receive a gift of love. You cannot earn an inheritance. It's given by grace. The blessing you are to inherit, the blessing you have been called to, is salvation. Salvation cannot be earned. It cannot be purchased. It cannot be received except by God's grace. This is the inheritance that all who place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are promised. The only way anyone can hope to arrive in heaven and partake in this glorious inheritance is by total and complete submission to God's word and his plan of redemption. My friends, please do not be deceived. In order to grow in assurance of the wonderful blessing, there must be some serious changes in your life, changes made since the time you were, were living before Christ. Those changes have to be visible in your life. The most important of those changes is the understanding that you are now to acknowledge others as better than yourself and be concerned with their welfare. For the one who hears this teaching and takes it to heart, there will be a reward. Yes, a reward even in this life. Peter speaks to this in these next verses. 1 Peter 3, verses 10 through 12. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now this is a quote from Psalm 34. Peter introduces this with the word for. This is to say, here, here is what God says about all of this. Many of the people to whom Peter writes know great, a great deal about hardship and misery. Peter wants to encourage them. He says, he who would love life and see good days. This is a positive expression about life. 
He says, whoever loves life. Whoever recognizes life as a precious gift from God. Whoever sees good days as a gift from God or believers with their hearts properly attuned to God's word and the Holy Spirit's guidance. These are people who are participating right now in the fullness of life. People who are receiving the rewards of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ on earth and awaiting with great expectation the rewards of an eternal place with him in heaven. Paul explains, the one who sees his life like this has some additional things he needs to do. He says, let him refrain his tongue from evil. You know, that's a hard thing to do. He says, let him refrain his tongue from evil. He uses the word evil here in reference to words. Words that harm others. He does this to strengthen his admonition earlier of not repaying evil for evil or insult for insult. The tongue, according to James, is like a fire. It is in and of itself a world of evil. When it does not have the proper constraints, it can corrupt and destroy both speaker and listener. The Christian must be very careful about his tongue. He must be true to the words he speaks. Deceit must not be found in him. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 37, But let your yes be yes and your no, no. For whatever is more in, than these is from the evil one. Peter's already told you in 1 Peter 2, 1, Therefore laying aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and evil speaking. When your heart as a believer is free from such falsehood, you are then able to follow the example Christ gave. You can then love life and enjoy many good days here on earth. Peter continues, let him turn away from evil and do good. Again, we see the word evil. Here it refers to your acts. The believer is called not only to do good through his words, but also through his actions. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 5.22 says, abstain from every form of evil. Not just evil actions, but also the appearance of anything evil. The Greek gives the idea of leaning away from evil and leaning toward good. Your disposition has to be toward God's word and following his commands. The Apostle John sums this up pretty well in, in 3 John 11 when he says, Beloved, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. He who does what is good is of God, but he who does evil has not seen God. What is his point with this? He's encouraging believers to seek peace and to pursue it with all their heart, soul, and strength. If there's one thing, one thing each of us should be able to agree on, it is that peace is hard to attain. It's not an easy thing. To gain peace in your life, you must actively seek to avoid strife and discord. The New Testament is full of exhortations to us to live in peace with all men. Hear these, Romans 12, 18. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Hebrews 12, 14. Peace, pursue peace with all people in holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. 
Jesus also proclaims in Matthew 5, 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The point is that you, even as a believer, are required to live a life of peace with all men. This is not a suggestion. This is a command. Make this the goal of your relationship with everyone who crosses your path. Now, how do you do this? By seeing others as better than yourself. Putting the needs and interests of others ahead of your own. Peter goes on to say that all who live this way will find that for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. God sees those who live right. He hears the prayers of righteous people and he answers them. He rests his favor on all who fear him, who hold his name in respect and honor. Peter also says, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. He gives to you a very clear contrast. God sees both the good and the evil. You cannot hide one single deed from his sight. And you must never think he doesn't care for he is ever watching. He blesses those who are humble and concerned about others. But on the other hand, he is no friend to those who practice evil. He stands against them. They will never know peace nor rest. For peace and rest can be found in Jesus Christ and nowhere else. Peter makes clear. There is responsibility given to everyone who calls themselves a believer. They are to actively seek peace in their lives. This peace grows out of the understanding of the perfect harmony that is given with a new heart and spirit. It is something that is closely attached to the wonderful inheritance promised in Jesus Christ. This peace is the foundation of our place in heaven with the Father. It is that perfect harmony we are promised and is modeled for us in the Trinity. No, we can never earn this peace, but we can grow more and more into it, even in this life, if we will continue to hear God's word and allow that word to mold our lives. Peter sums it up in 1 Peter 2.13. Therefore submit yourself to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. Herein is the beginning of our coming into peace, for in this we come to God's will in our lives. This is the result of our submission, perfect unity with Jesus Christ. Isn't that a wonderful thought? That we can have that perfect unity with Jesus Christ. It begins with our working toward being submissive in this life. The only way you can stand in this unity with your Lord is when you begin to see others as better than yourselves. The worst thing we can do is put ourselves on a pedestal of any kind. We need to be down where we can look up and see others and see the needs they have. You stop talking, taking on hurt because someone else's actions against you. Someone says something snooty about you. What do you do? You start trying to figure out how I get back out. That's not what this is calling you to do. You stop taking on hurt because of someone else's actions and seek to help them instead of hate them. 
There are no shortcuts to this peace. It comes only as you begin imitating Jesus Christ and letting his love guide you. Let's pray. Father, you have called us to go preach peace to this world trapped in turmoil. There's not a day we don't face trouble and have disagreements with others. We allow ourselves to be captured by the sinful actions of others. Please, Lord, grant unto us, to each of us, to remember what Christ has done for us. He has given us peace of mind and heart. He has taken our fears and replaced them with joy. He has caused us to rise up and stand firm in the hope of his promises. Give us strength to see others as better than ourselves and reach out and love them regardless of what they think about us. We ask all of this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.